0: Well, I'd like to invite you uh, to offer your hands extended as a sign of receptivity to the Word of God, and uh, pray with me. Father, this morning we come before you with our hands extended, inviting you to come into our lives, to speak truth to us, to cause us to hear and understand your Word that will literally change us and transform us by the power of your Spirit. So, Lord, we receive this word today. May it do its work in a powerful way among us. May the word of God let, get hold of us and never let us go. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, we're continuing our series of messages on reclaiming Christmas. Uh, These past weeks, we've been on a journey to reclaim Christmas. One of the ways that we wanted to do that uh, was to provide an option for you of giving, and that's why we've done the San Marcos uh, uh, Fund Drive. We wanted to give you options of giving, spending less, but yet giving more. And that's what reclaiming Christmas is all about. But I think all of us have this sense of um, dissatisfaction with getting caught up in consumerism and commercialization. You know, this happens not only in the United States, but in other first world countries like Japan. A television interviewer was walking the streets of Tokyo at Christmas time. Much, Ameri- much like in America, Christmas shopping is a big commercial enterprise in Japan. The interviewer stopped one young woman on the sidewalk and asked, what is the meaning of Christmas? Laughing, she responded, I don't know. Is it when Jesus died? And you hear that and you say, how can somebody be so unaware? But yet, and another side of me says, well, that response really is about the Christmas that we've created. It's like Jesus doesn't exist anymore, that commercialization and consumerism is all that matters. Instead, I want to get caught up, and I know you do too, and the real reason for this season, Uh, it's like the old hymn says, to get lost in wonder, love, and praise. Now, I think all of us have different ways of staying centered to the real story of Christmas during the holidays. Uh, Sherry and I have a couple of things that we do. One of them is our Advent wreath. We don't have one as beautiful as this one that Gloria has created, but we have a small Advent wreath, Excuse me. Each evening we light the candle and then we either read something from the Bible or we've been reading a, a book by Max Lucado, Christmas Story, and we do something like that. We sing a couple of songs, we pray, and we just keep Christ in the center of our Christmas. But the other thing that we do to keep us focused on the real Christmas is our creche. Now, I've described this creche to you before in other years, but let me, for those of you who are new, let me tell you what our creche is. Back in 1983, I had an idea of uh, the Precious Moments makes this little creche set, Mary, Joseph, the baby, I think a cow, you know, a camel, a wise man, and a shepherd, something like that. But it's just a kit that you can buy, and so I bought that for Sherry back in 1983 with the intention that every year, on December 1st, I would give her another precious moment, crash piece, and then she could build the thing from there. Well, fast forward to 2007. Um, We've got more donkeys and camels than ever showed up at the real manger. We've got shepherds all over the place. We've got angels hanging from the rafters. We've got camels. It's just amazing how many pieces. So I finally said time out. I, they have no more pieces that I can buy. So we're just settled with this. But, but I love our creche. It represents Christmas to me. And so my job, one of my jobs on, Chris, on the day after Thanksgiving is to set up our creche on the buffet. And so I get it out and <clears throat> get all the pieces out and I set them all up, and I have the manger there, and the baby, and the precious, the holy family, shepherds, nearby angels. There's probably 40 or 50 pieces to this whole thing, but I have them all spread out. And what I do is I turn all of the faces of the animals, and the angels, and the shepherds towards Jesus, right? Does it make sense? So the, the, they're all the little animals and the people are looking at Jesus. Well, sometime during the day, Somebody in our household, I don't know who, somebody in our household comes and turns all of those precious moment pieces facing out away from the baby Jesus so that the seer, the person looking at the creche, these little precious faces look at them. And I said to that person in our house that did it this way, why did you do it this way? So that we can see their pretty faces. And to me, that's not a good theological explanation, quite honestly, you know. I think we should be looking at Jesus all the time. And so I turn him back and throughout the season it goes like that. I usually end up losing, by the way. But the fact is this. We must see Jesus. We must turn our faces towards Jesus to really experience Christmas the way God intended it. Reclaiming Christmas. Turning our eyes and our hearts towards Jesus. So we want, to turn, we want to do that uh, during this Advent season, and we're talking about the four parts of Reclaiming Christmas, worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. And so today we're talking about giving more. Now uh, the first Sunday we talked about worshiping fully, and we used the example of the merry miracle, and the merry miracle is this. Uh, just like it happened with that 14-year-old uh, girl in Palestine 2,000 years ago, the Mary miracle is that Jesus comes alive in me, and Jesus grows in me, Jesus comes forth from me, and Jesus changes the world around me. Just like what happened with Mary can happen with me, it can happen with you. That's the Mary, Mary miracle. And we worship God fully when we fully understand that Christ is alive in us. Christ in me, Paul said in Colossians, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And then last Sunday, we talked about spending less. And it's not about just money, but we want to talk more about presence with a C rather than presence with a T. We want to experience the presence of Jesus in our lives And we want to give the gift of presence to people in our world, our family, our friends, our church, people like that. So it's about the presence. And then we talked about how some practical ways we could spend less and give more. For example, we've asked our people, consider what it means to take half of the money you spend on Christmas and use that money for the kingdom. Giving a generous gift to your church at the year end. Uh, help um, uh, Help with the San Marcos School help with feeding the homeless on Christmas uh, Day, uh, helping with Covenant World Relief or, uh, or um, uh, v- World Vision or any of the other great organizations. But taking half of our money and spending it on the kingdom, still give gifts to our children, to those that we love, but make them more modest, homemade, something smaller, and really give more by, give, by spending less. Now let me give you an example of what that looks like. Every year... Uh, 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 an average American family spends $860 on Christmas, okay? So the average American... Now, if some of you are thinking, well, I give more than that. Others of you are thinking, well, I give a lot less. But the average American family gives uh, $860, spends $860 on Christmas. What if we as a church, as a congregation, said, you know, we still want to spend on those that we love, but we're going to cut that in half. And instead of spending $860 on Christmas gifts we're going to spend $430 on Christmas gifts and $430 on the kingdom. Now, what if we did that? We have a church of about 250 families. And if we did that, uh, and we spent that money on the kingdom, do you know what our church alone would spend on kingdom things? $107,500. If we just spent half of our money towards the kingdom. To me, that's spending less and giving more. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, what I wanna suggest today is that it's not so much about money, but our giving is more when we give the gift of time, when we, the, the gift of our presence with a C, when we give the gift of building relationships, when we give the gift of our heart. Uh, I was watching a Thursday night, like many of you, watching the Cardinals, Woo! you know, go Cardinals, watching the Cardinals beat the St. Louis Rams. And after the Cardinal game, there was a show on called um, A Football Life, okay? And it was about Kurt Warner. Now, we all here in Arizona, we love Kurt Warner. They live here. He took us to our Super Bowl in 2008. You know, we, we love Kurt Warner. So I was interested in his kind of life story. At one point in the 1998 season, when the Rams were pushing towards the Super Bowl, their star player, remember uh, Kurt Warner at this point was just kind of a rookie, uh, an old rookie, 27 year old rookie, but he was leading them towards the playoffs, and their star player was Marshall Falk, who came from my alma mater, San Diego State, and he came up to, and they had this on camera, he came up to Kurt Warner on the sideline after a big play, and he just did this. He just made a heart, and he, and he went like that. And he said, you've got heart and you're giving your heart and soul to this team. That's what God wants us to do at Christmas. He wants this. He wants our heart. He wants our presence. He wants us to build relationships. He wants us to spend less and give more. Now, I think a beautiful expression of what God wants to give us through his son Jesus is found in Romans chapter five, verse two. It's in your sermon notes. We'll also put it up on the screen. But here is this beautiful passage. It describes uh, what God wants to give to his children, the gift of Jesus. So here's what it says. Because of our faith, talking about our faith as believers, because of our faith, Christ has brought us, listen to this, into this place of undeserved privilege. So Christ has brought us into this amazing place, whatever that is, where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. He says, here's what the greatest gift that you'll ever have. You can confidently stand in the presence of God as his child. You know, so often when we say we think about the idea of standing before God, right? We think of that at the end times when we stand before God and, you know, is St. Peter going to let us in? All of those stories that people think about. Oh, I don't want to stand before God. He's going to see the real me. Ooh, that sounds scary. I don't want the, on a big screen all of the things that I've thought and done and believed in my life. You know, it sounds scary to stand in front of God. Well, there's always been this kind of fear about standing before God. We saw it in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. The Bible says that they tried to Hide from God. And then we see it in the story of, of, uh, of Moses. And Moses was going to meet God on Mount Sinai when the children of Israel were being really goofy and nuts. You know, He was up on Mount Sinai. He was going to receive the Ten Commandments. He encountered God in this burning bush. And the Bible says that he knew this was holy ground and he was instructed by God to take off his shoes. The ground that you're on is holy ground. So we have this sense of... Oh, I'm in front of God and, I'm, and, I've, and I've got sin in my life and I've got a broken life and I don't quite know how to do this and what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be like in Raiders of the Lost Ark and you open up the Ark of the Covenant and you explode into fire? You know, that's kind of what we think is going to happen. But he said, no, we before God and you can literally stand before God. The greatest gift that God wants to give you is that ability today, it says it starts right now and through all eternity to stand before God and enjoy His presence. Now, isn't that an amazing gift? We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be wary of all of that. We can stand before God. A few weeks ago at the second service, at this service, um, there was a, a man in our church who was brand new. He came with his girlfriend at the time. Since then, he's moved back to Texas. But this young man by the name of Brian, uh, he gave his heart to Christ in that service. And after the last song we were singing, he came up. and Some of you will remember, he just spilled himself on the altar up here. Uh, there was no way that he could understand how to express his love and adoration for God. He felt like he couldn't stand in the presence of God. He just simply had to fall on his face. Have you ever felt that way? Can you imagine that we as Christ followers can confidently stand in the presence of God because of Jesus? Confidently stand in his presence? That's the gift that God wants to give to us this Christmas season. His real presence, our ability to stand before a holy God. Now this gift we, this gift we know is under, misunderstood and it's undeserved as we said earlier. But the context of this gift I think can see, be seen the most clearly and the most beautifully in the story, the Christmas story of the gifts of the Magi. Now, some of you know that story well because it's part of the Christmas, the Luke 2 story. But I want to focus on that today and see how God's gift to us was reflected in the gifts the Magi brought to the baby and how that we can give those gifts to God ourselves. How we can spend less and give more. So, the text that I'll be reading today is from Luke chapter 2. And in that passage, actually, Matthew chapter 2, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 2. And I'll be reading portions of it, the first two verses and then verses 9 through 11. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. After this interview with Herod... And frankincense, and myrrh. This is such a wonderful part of the Christmas story. Now, uh, all of us get the idea that there were three wise men, right? Because they brought three gifts. The Bible never says there were three wise men. There might have been like in our creche, you know, seven. Uh, there might have been 11, you know. Um, but there were these wise men. The, the, by the way, the way that we got this idea of three wise men being three is uh, from a little Christmas carol that was written in 1857 by an Episcopal priest by the name of John Henry Hopkins. That little song was called We Three Kings of Orient Are, right? So ever since then, there's been this kind of idea that there were three wise men. But these beautiful travelers from afar, traveled from the east, they followed the star, and they arrived to pay homage to the king. Now, by this time, Jesus was probably... He was a toddler, probably like some of the little kids you saw up on the stage today, probably two, three, at the most three and a half years old. It took them a couple of years to travel and follow the star from far away. But uh, so Jesus was a toddler at this point, and they came to honor him as king, to pay homage to their king. These men were religious astrologers. They were not... um, Uh, They were not uh, Jews, they were not um, uh, religious people in terms of uh, following Judaism or knowing or believing in Yahweh, but they were religious astrologers and scholars. Uh, They were wealthy, they were educated, certainly uh, as educated men not given to fantasy or folklore. Yet they were Gentiles, most likely men of color, who traveled hundreds of miles over many months to visit a newborn Jewish king. How odd is that? How weird is that? That these Persian travelers, wealthy, important men, traveled for two years to see a newborn baby in a Jewish village called Bethlehem. must have been a weird sight to see these Magi pull up into Jerusalem, park their camels, talk to Herod. These noble Persians bearing great gifts and wearing the dust of a thousand miles. And when they saw the child in Bethlehem, the scripture says, verse 11, they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, these men were used to being worshipped themselves. These men were were used to being paid homage themselves. They were rulers. They were kings. They were magicians. They had all kinds of things going for them. And yet they, when they saw this little boy, they fell down, the Bible says, and worshipped him. Now, the word worship, there's a couple of nuances to this word that's that's really powerful. One nuance to the word worship is this. It means to fall on one's face. To fall on one's face. A, a symbol of worship. Of, 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 honoring someone, a symbol of saying, listen, I, my life is yours, a symbol of I pay homage to you, I respect you as a person, as a God, and it's the kind of thing you would see in the old days, the master with or the master and the slaves, the things you would see with the Queen of England and her subjects, that people would literally fall down in reverence and humility and say, I give my life to you. That's what these beautiful, wealthy men did to a Jewish toddler. But The word worship also has another meaning, another nuance. It means to kiss toward, to kiss toward. Um, Now, it's not in the Hollywood, you know, diva sense, you know, you know, blowing kisses and the the rose parade and all of that. It's not that, but it's more of a leaning forward and offering myself to someone else. I give you myself. I give you my time. I give you my money. I give you my soul. I give you my heart. I I, I just, my life comes to you, and I give to you a gift of my life. It's kissing the ground. It's worshiping and adoring the newborn king. What, What a beautiful picture this is of what it means to worship the king. So often we come to worship with expectations. It was the kind of music I like. Is the kind of sermon I like. Is the kind of people I like. And we come with all of these things instead of just coming and saying, Lord, I'm here today and I offer you myself. I not only bow down, but I kiss toward you. I give you my life. I worship. I listen. I receive. I'm blessed. I am honored to be in your presence. I give you my life. That's what they did. That's what these beautiful men from Persia did for the baby. Now, in addition to their worship, and that was the greatest gift, the gift of presents, right, with a C. But in addition to that, they brought presents with a T. The Magi honored the newborn king with gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know the story. Gold, as always, was a rare and priceless treasure. Gold has always been, and you know what, no one really knows why, because it's not really that useful, unless you want to fill a tooth, you know, and, and be a rap star or something. I mean, there's not really that useful, you know, but it's always been that way. But they brought gold, a rare and priceless treasure. Then they brought frankincense, a precious, valued spice. And finally, they brought myrrh, a coveted perfume from the Far East. It was kind of like the, the Estee Lauder of Asia Minor. All of these gifts they brought to the child, gifts of royalty to the royal one. They brought their best, gifts fit for a king. Now over the years, especially since 1857 when that song came out, uh, there's been a legend that these three wise men, even though there were probably more, that these wise men had names. And their names were Caspar, Melchior, and Balthasar. That's been the name given to these three wise men. The legend says that Melchior was an older man gray-haired with a long beard, and it was he who brought the gift of gold. Now, gift is a a wonderful gift for any occasion, but for those who really want to honor someone, they give their very best, and he gave the gift of gold. Seneca, an ancient historian, tells us that it was common in the ancient ancient Near East that no one could approach a king without a gift, and if you approach a king, the greater the king, the greater the gift. So, uh, so, uh, Uh, Melchior brought the gift of gold. And then we have Caspar, not the friendly ghost. I know what you're thinking. Get that out of your mind, right? But Caspar, the legend tells us that he was young and beardless uh, with a ruddy complexion, a ruddy countenance, and he brought the gift of frankincense. This spite, kind of a sweet spice with a, a scent like perfume. Uh, it was the same kind of thing that was used as starting in the Middle Ages, actually in the 5th century and throughout the Middle Ages. It was used in Catholic churches to be put in a censer a or a thurible, okay? If you're from the Catholic background, they have these little copper holdings with holes in it. Uh, it looks almost like a salt shaker, only bigger. It's, a, it's called a censer or a thurible and in that you would put frankincense and here's what they would do. And you still see this in many ritualistic Catholic churches. They would come down the aisle, and, right? And they would wave this. And you would see that, any of you Catholics remember this from back in the day? Okay, quite, quite a few. And, and, and there would be this fragrance fragrance in this, and it was most often f- uh, frankincense. They didn't have any frankincense. They just put in a little bit of coal or something, but something that would kind of smoke. And they, so it would visually, they would show that the people, that the priests are coming into the presence of God. That was what the symbolism was, that you can't come into the presence of God without this this kind of making a way. Um, And so they would offer this sacrifice to God. And it was the function of a priest to open up the way for people to get to God. Now, the Latin word for priest is pontifex, which means a bridge builder. So this This smell, this aroma of frankincense was supposed to pave the way so that God would see the sacrifice and be okay to come down and visit the people. And it was the way of doing it. Now, we as Protestants, what we believe as Christ followers is that we don't need kind of that go-between. We don't need a priest to interpret our prayers, nor do we need frankincense. But it was a beautiful picture of making a way. Now, why would they give Jesus the gift of being a bridge builder? Because that's exactly what he was. Jesus would take, when he grew up and died on the cross, Jesus would take my hand in his hand. He would take his other hand. He was all God and all man. He would take his other hand with the hand of the Father. And he would be the go-between, the bridge builder between Dwayne and an almighty, perfect, holy God. He was our bridge builder. He died for our sins so that we could have that relationship with God. Because otherwise, if we go before God just the way we are, we would just burn up in flames. We'd have no ability to stand before God because of the sin in our lives. But we come to a holy God through Jesus Christ. And when God looks at us, guess what? He looks at us through the face of Jesus. And just as we are having our eyes focused on Jesus, Jesus is having his eyes focused on us. And he is that bridge builder between God and man. Caspar is saying in presenting this gift to the child, you are the one that will bridge the gap between man and God. You are the frankincense. You are the one who prepares us to receive a holy God. Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There's only one way. There needs to be a way. There needs to be a bridge. There needs to be some way to to get between a a broken, unholy man and a, a, a sinless, perfect God. And that way was Jesus Christ, who was very man, and very God. Jesus Christ, who took your sins, past, present, and future, on his shoulders, and when he died on the cross, he died for your sins. Jesus Christ is our bridge builder. What a great gift, right? The gift of frankincense. But then there was a third wise man, Balthasar. Legend tells us that he was, again, a young man, kind of a dashing Errol Flynn, Johnny Depp, you know, with his pirate hat on kind of guy, with a newly grown beard, and it was he who brought the gift of myrrh. Now, this is the strangest gift of all, the gift of myrrh. I'll tell you why. Uh, Myrrh was the kind of gift you would not give to someone normally, especially not to a baby or a child. Myrrh was a, a fragrant resin used as an oil for embalming in Egypt. So myrrh, was used in the process of embalming. Why would you give a baby the gift of death? The gift of, okay, this is how you preserve death. What a peculiar gift for an infant. But the gift was a gift of the real presence of God. How can I stand in his presence? We've learned this verse since the time we were children, and we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. We know that verse. But What that verse is talking about is this, that Jesus came to this earth to die. He didn't come to have a party. He didn't come to just heal people and do good things. In fact, he did all of that. Jesus came to this earth as God in a body. He came to this earth to die. The gift of myrrh was a recognition that Jesus had a mission and his mission was to die for your sins and my sins. One of my favorite pictures is this painting by Holman Hunt and it's beautiful. It's called The Shadow of Death and it shows Jesus as a young man. Remember, he was raised by a carpenter, Joseph Joseph. So uh, he was raised in the trade, learning the trade when he was a young man. And it shows that after probably a hard day's labor, his mother's working beside him, a hard day's labor. You know how you get up and you kind of stretch out and you stretch your back and you stretch your arms. But what's beautiful about this picture is the shadow that it casts is a shadow of the cross. From the time that Jesus was born until the time that he was crucified on the cross, he was born to die. What an amazing gift. What an insightful gift. Three wise men didn't know anything about that. They didn't understand it. They couldn't even under, understand why they were giving the gift of myrrh, but they did. And understanding that we, as now Christ followers, we have this beautiful uh, ability to see what God was doing in that moment of giving the gift of death. Jesus came into the world to die. That is why myrrh is such a fitting gift for the infant king. Three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts for a king, a bridge builder, and a savior. The reason we can be present with God one day and stand in his presence is because God has provided a way the bridge between man and God. And this bridge, when Jesus takes our hand and he takes the hand of God, this bridge is not religion. Too many people get so hung up on religion. Religion is man trying to do something for God. Christianity is God doing something for man. Reaching down, Jesus Christ, the hand of God, the hand of man, a bridge builder, it's not religion, it's not a rites and rituals, it's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It made it possible because he died. The gift of gold, the gift of a bridge builder, frankincense, and the gift of a savior, the gift of myrrh. My favorite Christmas story and indulge me I've told you this story before, my favorite Christmas story. As I close this morning. It's one of the best stories I've ever seen about Christmas. It was written by a father whose wife one day decided to go shopping in the afternoon and leave the dad with all four children at home. Uh, Moms, by the way, this is a really important thing, do that sometimes. It makes your husband really appreciate you and uh, that way she can buy gifts for the kids. So this dad had, uh, was home laying, laying in his den, uh, kind of half snoozing, half watching a football game, and the children, all four of them came stomping into the office and said, "'Daddy, we have a play for you.'" Now, uh, again, another health tip, if your kids say that, you might as well listen, because you're not gonna be able to do anything else. So they come in, and pretty soon, daddy realized that this was going, he was gonna be a one-man audience, and this was going to be a Christmas play. At the foot of the piano, stool, there was a flashlight. The flashlight was turned on and wrapped in, as you would expect, swaddling clothes lying in a shoebox. Then Rex, age 6, came in wearing Dad's bathrobe and carrying a mop handle. He was followed by Nancy, age 10, who announced, I'm Mary and this is Joseph. Then Trudy, age 4, came in with scarves draped all over her arms and just flapping her arms. And she said, I'm an angel. Finally, in came Anne, age eight. You can tell who the leader of the clan was. Anne came in riding a camel, at least. That's what it appeared, walking in her mother's high heels and being bedecked with all of her mother's jewelry. And she carried a pillow, and on that pillow were three small gifts. And she bowed before the holy family and announced, I am all three wise men. I bring precious gifts of gold and circumstance and mud as she offered the gift to the king. Now you would think the dad would have corrected her, well that's not really how the story goes, but instead the dad was quite pensive and quite moved by this, thinking that maybe Anne, age eight, knew more about Christmas than any one of us. Because in that simple phrase that we bring him gifts of gold in our circumstances, and yes, even our mud, that that is the gift that we offer to the king. It's not much of a gift. It's not very beautiful. It's not very nice. But your circumstances, your sin, your brokenness, your mud, as it is offered to the king, he receives and he died for your sins on the cross that you might have the true gift of life, the gift where you can stand boldly before the throne of God you can stand without reservation, looking up into the Father's high eyes, looking at the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world and stand knowing that you stand before God with purity and beauty in your life because Jesus took care of your gold, your circumstances, and your money. That is the greatest gift given to man. And the greatest gift that we can give to him, the gift of our heart. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, we do once again want to tell you that we want to give you the gift of our heart. We get so caught up in the world's way of doing Christmas about spending and, and all of the decorations and all those things are good, Father, but you have called us to something much, much greater. You have called us to give like Jesus. That's what that video showed us a little while ago. To give like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do Christmas like Jesus. And that means that we can give to him our gold, our circumstances, and our mud. We can give him all of that in our life, which is broken and ugly. And in place, he gives us with this wonderful exchange, he gives us everlasting life, forgiveness of sin, and eternity. And and most of all, he gives us the ability to stand in the presence of God with a smile and a full heart, knowing that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this amazing gift. And today, Lord, as we've done so often, we as your followers just want to give you the gift of our heart. Renew our commitment to you. Lord Jesus, you are our God. You are our King. You are our Savior. You are our bridge builder. And we give you our hearts, each and every one of us. And Lord, if there are those here this morning who have never given you their heart, may they do, they do that this morning. Even even before we close this prayer, may they just simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my life. I give you my circumstances. I give you my mud. Forgive me, cleanse me, and give me the ability to stand before an almighty, sinless God. Father, I pray for those who might even pray that prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for your great love, and thank you for the great gift of your Son that is expressed in our lives every day and in every way. And we pray these things in the precious and the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we want to uh, uh, take our offering this morning. Now, the offering is designed for those who are part of Hope Covenant Church. If you're a guest, we don't want your money. We're just glad that you're here. Everyone else, we invite you to give generously, sacrificially, to the work of the kingdom and Hope Covenant Church. Ushers, if you will, please come forward.